Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My name is Melanie Labarry, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. She's the West End leading lady that's currently making Broadway her home as she stars in Max Martin's genius bop-filled show and Juliet at the Stephen Sondheim Theatre. The vital part of any major company, she's joined original productions of Matilda, Mary Poppins, Daddy Cool and, of course, Anne Juliet in the West End, with performances in big hitters also including Les Mis, Wicked and my favourites, Ragtime and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, alongside many more. Taking a well-earned break from her busy schedule, belting out Pink, Ariana Grande and Katy Perry, we discuss here Kicking It Stateside, the genius of Shakespeare's tale remixed, and why she's forever proud to be part of such a beautiful rainbow cast of stars. Plus, we deep dive into some of her most infamous and favourite theatrical roles and experiences, including the previously mentioned Ragtime and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and why she's not going to be saying goodbye to the West End anytime soon. As for her, it will always be home. She's a wonder, and I'm so thrilled to say welcome Melanie LeBarry here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Melanie and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Please let me welcome to this, the next episode of Eleven. She is a certified West End and current Broadway leading lady, direct from NYC. Hello, Melanie Barry. How are you? I am great. I am so great. I had a day off yesterday so I could sleep. And when I tell you, I literally did not say a word for the entire day I, because my partner has now gone back to London for a little bit. So it's just me kind of knocking about in this flat. And I just want, and also I didn't turn on the television or the radio for the entire so the flat was like deadly silent while I did five loads of laundry and read books and just like so today I feel so rested and rejuvenated and revitalized and ready for the week ahead. Amazing well you deserved your day off and you deserve your reclusive time because I should say for context for people listening that literally what we are now three days ago I had the honor privilege and pleasure of getting to see you play a role in New York that I've seen you do many a time and every time it gets even funnier the vocals get stronger it's just off the charts and I am going to spend the next 20 minutes just telling you how extraordinary the performance is so strap in I hope you're ready for lots of compliments because you are for like I think the three people in the world that don't know and I think there may even be two now you are starring in Anne Juliet at the Stephen Sondheim Theatre in New York City which it's a role and a show that you do know incredibly well it's become it's yours it belongs to you you own it in every single part and you are one of these people where I think and I'm I'm sure this is right in saying probably one of the only people that I've ever done I think it's five opening nights with a show literally consecutively if you think about was it Manchester London reopening Broadway Toronto I mean this must be a part that is in your blood well I've done a 
about 500 performances of it now. I think it's about that. I think we've got there. It is five opening nights. I hadn't even really thought about it. We had Manchester first, then we opened in London, then we brought it back, reopened again, then opened in Toronto and now on Broadway. And each time it's a brand new thing. And each time I'm terrified because I don't know what I'm going to do. And kind of each time I, I go back because... I never quite get a part when I, when I say I don't I don't fully understand it until I do it for a long time and until I find out things as I'm doing it. So rehearsals are kind of wasted on me. <laughs> I use rehearsals to know where to stand and and uh, and stuff, but I kind of have to do it in front of an audience. And so when we open it, it's never my best go at a show and a part. And so. I've now had to, now doing it on Broadway. I think this is now six years, because if I started with this show, I was first involved in the show back in 2017. That's when we did the first workshop of it. So I, I know this show very well. But even starting it on Broadway, I think I'm better at it now than when we opened in October. Because I've learned about the Broadway audience. And I've learned about... Uh, my fellow actors and working with American actors and working um, with Brazilian actors and um, and you know and everybody comes with with a little something that's different and and you know kind of figuring out all of that and figuring out the audiences and what they like because they like different things here to what we like in London. No, London, I figured that out. <laughs> Because I've been there for such a long time now. I kind of got that, you know. It, it comes to me immediately. But but I had to really work hard at learning the American way of theatre. And, and that's been really a an extraordinary and magical process but it's been it's been you know something that I've had to work hard at I talk a lot so you really have to like jump in there because <laughs> I will just go bubble on forever and ever so you, <laughs> you gotta no, stop me <laughs> I promise it's such a pleasure just to hear you talk about this role that as you say 500 performances I mean that's a crazy number for anybody to do I say the same thing but it's obviously not the same it's it's different each night but it's within the realms of similarity to do something 500 times feels like such a privilege for you to get the opportunity in this industry which is not always the way to get to work on something and as you say grow I guess you mentioned about the different locations the different audiences but how have how has you as a performer been able to grow with that role I guess have you noticed differences not just in the locations but you as a creative as you play it in you know, 500 plus performances now oh absolutely this thing it's a skill in itself doing something night after night and trying to enter into it like if it's the first time that you're doing it. The way I like to think about it is that it's practice. It is a form of practice. You know, people who do yoga, they they do things every day and they have the positions that they do maybe and they might do the same thing every day. And it's a form of practice and you try every day to perfect it. You are never perfect. And I've kind of learned that a lot here especially. I, I've always had it with me, but I've really learned it here. You are never perfect. I have always embraced my imperfections because I never think I'm any good at anything anyway. And so every time I get to do it, it's another chance for me to try to get it a little more right. And that's what I think uh, it, 
it's I, I'm infused with every time I try to go on stage. I am not surrounded with the kind of support system that I'm normally surrounded by in London. You know, in London, I have my family, I have my partner, I have my friends, I have actors that I've worked with. And, you know, we've as as a couple and we mush together all the time or we talk about it all the time and the things that we do and the things that we can make it better. I remember working with my darling Chris Vincent in Les Miserables back in 2007, 2008. And we did Les Mis, a, a year of Les Mis, and every day we talked about it. And tried to see, gosh, what about if we try this? So, and it was never, you never felt like actors were giving each other notes. You know, you were just like working on it together. And you have to, you know, you have to be very careful because not every actor is like that. So I'm like trying to navigate that here as well. So I don't have that support system here in New York, although I work with wonderful people. But the, you know, the people that you have developed, the circle that you've developed over time is, is not with you. And so that's, strength. I've had to improve my internal resilience and my uh, internal strength and power. You know, I've had to rely on that. That's that's what's gotten better over time because I don't have, the, you know, the cushion to fall on. So I have to, you know, learn how to do things myself and to, and, and also not to judge myself too harshly because at home if you judge yourself too harshly you have your people around you to hold you and say no you you are right you're doing okay but when you're by yourself and you judge yourself harshly you could spiral downwards and nobody's there to stop you so i've had that that has improved as well my my whole own touch point of saying okay stop don't judge yourself too harshly tomorrow you can try it again well doing all right is an understatement i think for the performance that that you performed last week so if you if that's what your class is doing all right then my gosh that's bloody fantastic to me so i hope you know you are doing wondrous things on that stage because that part is hard like there's a lot of humor she's also incredibly nurturing and very kind to julia and she almost has to be the matriarch of leading her forward because julia has so many different avenues that she could go down quite easily get straight and i think you will have a lot of weight on your shoulders. But I think one thing that from your experience, just, just taking what you said there, is that the great joys of life is when you do make yourself feel uncomfortable. When you do say, actually, do you know what? This is probably going to be really tough, but why don't I give it a go? And if it's awful, there's always a way back. But, you know, you could potentially earn something. Is that where you're sitting now with the Broadway experience? Do you feel like this was the right decision, as much fun as you're having, I guess, on a personal level? Well, well first of all, I am grateful to be given the opportunity to come to Broadway. You know, I'm nearly, I'm 48, I'll be 49 this year. And to make a Broadway debut at 48 is like, woo. <laughs> you know, I'm, so every day, one, I have gratitude. Two, I'm in this show over here with mega theatrical superstars. You know, we have Paolo Schott, who plays opposite me, Tony Award-winning Paolo Schott. Uh, we have Betsy Wolf, who is a stalwart and, a, you know, so well-known. And she is like theatre royalty, Stark Sands, the same, uh, Tony nominated Stark Sands. So we have, you know, these people. And then we have the superstar that is Lorna Courtney and the superstar that is Justin coming out and, and you know, br breaking barriers and making waves. So really, I have no pressure on me. 
<laughs> because these people have all the pressure. <laughs> so that's that's why I guess I can I can make myself uncomfortable. I was off the show for a couple of days the other day. And I said, I need to pull myself back because, I, and I said this uh, the other day, my friend, Sam Holmes, great, wonderful, wonderful performer, creative. We did White Christmas together. And one day he told me a story uh, about these two actors. And I'll tell the story here because it, it's just, it's so great. Uh, one time these two actors are doing a scene and one time the actor asks for a cup of tea and got, gets an uproarious laugh from the audience. Loves it because we love validation. Loves it. And so therefore, night after night, comes on and tries to do the same thing. And he's, you know, the laughter was diminishing, 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 diminishing. Until one day he came out, asked for the cup of tea, and there was no laughter. And so he asked his counterpart, I don't understand why this isn't working. Why, you know, I one time I asked for the tea and, and got big laugh and now I get nothing. And she said to him, darling, it's because you are asking for the laugh. You should just ask for the tea. That popped up into my mind at the moment that I was sick. And I said, oh, I must make sure that I'm not going out there and asking for the laugh. And so I stripped everything away. I had two days to think about it. I got out all my acting books, all my Stanislavski and all of that had a little read and just, you know, to give yourself a little knowledge from the masters. And then went back to work. I just said everything just from neutral. That is scary, especially when you've done it a million times. You know where all the laughs are. I know where every single laugh in this entire play is. I know it for London and I know it for America. I know exactly where the people are going to laugh. So I could go out there and, and just make myself deliberately unfunny. And just let the language do the work. And also you're blessed with such incredible source material that you can lean into that and go, I know that this is a music genius and a writing genius, both of whom are having interviewed, especially Max, incredibly funny without actually knowing it. You know that if you just go out there, as you say, and, and read as written, this there's going to be some lols. It's just there. David Westreed did the work. Why do I feel like I, I know better than him? I don't know any better than him. He's been writing comedy for more years than... I, I've been telling a joke. So, you know, I have to trust that. And Max, the, <laughs> the inimitable genius of Max Martin, that just to trust us with his great hits, you know, to trust these two older people. Listen, I didn't know the songs. When they played the songs for me, I didn't know them. I had to go. I remember when we first got Domino in the show and Cassidy and Miriam, they were singing. They were like, woo. And they were like, okay, so we're going to do this song here now because there was another song there that is no longer there. And they said, we're going to do Domino now. And I was like, woo, okay. Can I have a note bash? Because I didn't know the song. <laughs> I'm so sad sometimes that I don't just get to stand and sing it because when, when I sing those songs, I'm running. I'm running and jumping and falling. And so I'm out of breath. By the time I start this song, I'm already out of breath. Um, so... I'm so sad that people never really actually get to hear me sing this song properly. <laughs> but it's great fun. And to trust us with that, Max knew what he was doing when he put all of these things together. And he knew what he was doing when he said yes uh, to letting these songs be used. And David West Reed, again, another little genius that just knows inherently what people will fall about with and knows how to, uh, like, cut them 
off at the knees because they think they're laughing and they think that their sides splitting, stomach hurting, laughing, laughing, and then suddenly you're in tears and you don't know why. I don't have to do anything. I just have to ask for the tea. <laughs> who doesn't in the world know max martin's catalog i mean i'm always just so curious as to how do you make the decisions on which of the which of the god knows how many grammy winning songs do you want to pick from it's 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 literally like being a, a child in a sweet shop right when they were going through going yeah let's pick that one let's pick that one it's um it's a pretty awesome experience as an audience member just to be hit constantly with these songs and to have them around you every day i mean that's that's kind of wild right it's so funny people often ask me how do you feel when you you go out and about and you just hear the songs from the show and I was like you have to realize that this is not songs from the show <laughs> these are just the songs of our lifetime that we were blessed and lucky enough to be able to put in a show but you can't get away mm. you can't get away from any you go to a restaurant you go to a coffee shop you go to a bar you go walking down the street the man busking in the in the tube the, <laughs> I literally, every day I go down after the show, I go down into the tube and the little man is there singing Backstreet Boys. And I'm like, yeah, you can't get away from it. This is, this man is the soundtrack of our lives for however many years, like decades, the soundtrack of all of our lives. He is ubiquitous. You can't turn around. And so therefore, for the depth of the catalog, there will always be a song that is perfectly right for what you need yeah. because there are so many and having been in a studio now twice with him <laughs> <laughs> just saying that like the excitement that bubbled up in me that the fact that I'm on both the London cast album and the Broadway cast album just saying that out loud made me feel I felt like I was five years old like my stomach literally did a loop-de-loop but having been in the studio with him twice and you understand the way that he makes music and what he understands about music and the human vocal and what is required, you know, and the way that he cares about it and what it sounds like. You, you just go, yeah, of course, of course, because he's managed to tap into something so primal, so universal in terms of what we want to hear. But Max has been able to touch, I think, our source, the thing that makes us human and the thing that makes us human together, the things that make relationships and friendships and joyous encounters. He's managed to tap into that to create all the things that he's created. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like? I guess this probably might be a workshop slash pre-West End conversation, but musically when when you're creating, when using these songs and it, it's agreed that said song is going to be used at a certain moment, do the creatives, does Max come to the table with an idea of how he wants it? And I guess how much impact and input do you get to do into that about where it best sits in your voice because it does feel especially listening to the album and the and especially live that there has been a collaborative process where you've had an input that it's it's best to suit your voice as well as you know honor the original yeah absolutely and max was has been and still is so involved in the making of this musical and when we were in london max was there the entire time he was there through all of the workshops he wanted to know what it sounded like. He worked really hard. You know, we we changed. I mean, back in 2017, though, I was stupid. And so I was like, I was saying everything in the original key. Like if I was making this now, <laughs> it would definitely not be 
in that key because I am an older pre-menopausal woman with hormones doing everything to me. And I'm like, I would change the key because I'm not out here trying to pretend to sing higher than anybody. <laughs> but yeah, we worked, we worked really hard. We, we, we worked so collaborative, so collaboratively. He, he really listened and he knows voices. That's the thing is that Max knows voices. Even when we came back from the pandemic, you know, th things have changed, you know, we, two years of our lives, you know, we were away from the material. We did work there and said, maybe we can do something about this. You know, the domino that we sing now is not the domino that we sang originally. The key changed and, and, it, and it was better because it, there's no, it's no need for it to be, you know, in the rafters. And yeah, we were, we worked hard at just making it absolutely right for all of us. And he just wanted it to be that. He wanted it to be right and comfortable. And yes, it's spectacular. His forms are spectacular. The way that he constructs a song is designed to hit the emotional and vocal heights at the time when it's needed. He's iconic and legendary for all the reasons. And also having, as I mentioned at the start, the pleasure of getting to interview him properly. I mean, he's a very, very kind human as well. Like he's really endearing and and that sadly doesn't happen all that often in the industry. So I can imagine what a what a pleasure it would have been for you as a creative getting those opportunities twice in one occasion to, to get to work with him in a studio. Can I ask you about, this is a slightly nerdy question, but there are a few signature Melanie LaBarry options that I may have heard in certain shows, particularly Break Free. Does Max have a say in that? And I guess how often does that creep out? Because that is some high singing. I mean, you literally yeah. made a bed for yourself there. I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I would drop down about three tones <laughs> every day. I hear the little star, do, 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 do. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> if I'm, yeah, we, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time, you know, with, with singing and, and singing, singing like that, because it was so funny that um, for all the shows that I had done in the West End, before and Juliet, the last time that I had properly sung or done any real singing in the West End was back in 2008. Because then I'd made a really good, good career for myself being the non-singing part in musicals. So I, Mrs. Phelps didn't sing in Matilda. Yeah. And Madame Marble, um, you know, she does some singing, but it's it's yeah. not, you know, it's, it's just a little and, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so I was like, ooh, this is great. <laughs> I never missed a show in Wicked because I didn't really have to look after my voice. <laughs> I feel like the only person you have to blame for this high belting note is you. So it is me. You know. It is quite literally me. It's like nobody did it to me. Max was like, "You are you okay?" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and of course, because we have to do it, and we have to match the baritones, and working with the the wonderful David Badella um, and the, that rich, beautiful, rich baritone. So we had to make sure that we were matching that, so that he didn't have to go too low and or too high, and you know, we had to work all of that out as well. Do you only work now with Olivier and Tony award-winning husbands in shows? Is that the rule now? Apparently. <laughs> I just have to catch up with them and try to win one myself at some point. <laughs> well, it's coming, trust me. It's coming because <laughs> you're creating a lot of magic and very, very special things out there. So I hope you know that your place is pretty extraordinary. And to, to, as I say, like three days ago from today, getting the real luxury and pleasure. Also, I was sat so far back that I could see 
people enjoying it. And I forgot because you get so caught up in the idea of trying to be as close as possible. And it has so many joyful moments being close. But to experience other people enjoying it for a first time is something that I didn't expect to take from that performance, but really did. It's the laughs are big and loud and they are so with you. And I hope you feel that. I do. I yeah, I do. I the, the thing about the Broadway audience and, and the Western audience, Western audiences have been so kind and beautiful to me. And I love them with my whole heart. Um, you know, I never call people who support me fans. I always call, we, we, there's a word, and actually it wasn't me, it was one of the beautiful people who support me, Kay, who came up the word, she calls them the family. And I, I love that so much because they are like, because I talk to them like if they belong to me. Um, and it's been so beautiful to come here and um, be embraced and cared for by the Broadway audiences. What I love about them is that you really kind of belong to them. They own you. And I've said this in almost every interview and it is so true. It's like they want to open their mouths and eat you. You feel like if they just want to swallow you whole, that's that's how they receive you. And it's been, it's in the beginning it was very scary to me because I was like, oh my gosh, this what's all of this? Uh, I've gotten quite used to it now um, and and love it so because it means that they're ready. They're ready to make the art with you. If you let them, they will like take over the whole thing. And so you have to, it's, it's a, for me, a really fine negotiation. I never want it to be so much that I am being such a clown that, you know, all we're doing is like, you know, I, I don't ever want to be winking at the audience. Yeah. Um, I want them to be a part of making it with me. Um, and to know that their role is so important in the making of this with me. And that, you know, each role has its responsibilities. And so if I just let us both get carried away with just the the laughter and if the, the you know, and me just being a big clown, then then I have failed them. Um, and so, you know, Luke, Luke Shepard was, he was always keen about that, about controlling, having a, a measure of control of the narrative and about where you let other people in uh, to, in, to enjoy or to be a part of it. But he said, you know, I have to be the one who was in control of that. And I took that very seriously and still take it very seriously. And it is a fun show. And of course, there is this amazing relationship between you and the audience and the music. But also, it, it's so incredible as an audience member in London and then continuing on Broadway to see a show that I think reflects the world that I live in, that sees very many ages, faces, races, sexualities, abilities. It's it's not something, sadly, that happens all that often, although I do think it's important to note that it is happening more regularly, although perhaps not as regularly as we would like. And I can imagine for you living in that world, that must feel right, because this is the real world, as I like to call it. You know, I came from the point where there was a time when I was the only black person in a show. You know, I, I did that and I recognized it at the time and did it anyway, because I said to myself, if there is one, there will be more. And I wanted, especially if it was an original show, wanted to make sure that I was making work for other black women to come in and do. And I I wanted to make sure, and you know, and then it became, you know, points where I became the first black woman to play particular parts or, you know, one of the first. So, you know, um, like playing Madame Tenardier or even playing Madame Marble. And um, 
to be given that responsibility, I, it, it wasn't lost on me. But I did it because I always say, if there is one, there will be more. And when I make parts and when I make, when I'm part of original musicals, I do it not for myself, but for everybody who comes after me. That's incredibly important. So now to be a part of a show like this, where we go, where we have our beautiful expressions of everyone on there and we go, if there is one, there will be more. Mm -hmm. And so we have made space for older people on stage to allow other people to bear witness to a love story. Uh, we've made space for non-binary people to come in and express themselves fully and have love and have friendships and be beautiful. We've made space for, you know, people of all sizes and and colors and everything, every expression. We made space for that. And if there is one, there will be more. Absolutely. And that is so important. Like to just read the news today that the Autocritic Circle have all removed gender from all their acting categories. That's so wonderful. So we could put everybody. Yeah. Let's let's have a space for everybody because that's life. You know, I, I always say it shouldn't be surprising. The casting of Juliet shouldn't be surprising. Mm, yeah. And it's sad that it is. But we're here, we're queer, and we're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Retweet that. You referenced some of the parts where you had those history-making moments attached to them. Take, for example, you mentioned Les Mis, but also with Wicked. When you take on a role that's so synonymous for a certain type of person, and there is that history attached, on top of pressure that's already huge, to play those roles is like pressure 101. Is it hard to be able to be in the moment and not get distracted by the conversations outside that other people are looking in? Or do you embrace that? Because... I know people approach things when there is that extra level of it in two very different ways, because there's a lot of noise that can often be distracting, but in a good way, it's it's a difficult balancing game, right? I, ne I never hear the conversations. I don't allow it. Um, for me, when I'm there, I'm there to do the work, mm -hmm. you know? I think it's because I come from Trinidad and Tobago. And where I come from, people look like me, they look like you, they look like other people, but they all sound like me. So I come from a majority culture. So I move through life as though I am from a majority culture, right? Uh, so when I go to play those roles, I just play the roles. I'm not taking on what anybody else have to say about them. Mm -hmm. I was given the opportunity to do it. So what I will do is do it well. So I'm not the last one. Let me not be the last one. You know, okay. I'm going to go and do it and just do it well. And yeah, it's just... That narrative has never been a part of what was important for me. I just want to do the work. I know in I know the reality of me being there, but it's not it plays no part in the art that I want to create. Not one bitter part. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you are there because you are so extraordinary. You're also so, so kind and funny. And these are these are words that don't always go together in this industry, sadly. But you are one of the good people. You're one of the good ones, as as they like to say. And, and when people talk of you, and I'm sure oh, I hope you've heard this, pe people do always talk about your kindness. It's definitely something I think that that travels far and wide for a lot of the people that have had the pleasure of working with you, but also seeing you on stage. I guess this is, this feels like a very silly question, but where does that kindness come from? Where Does it root in the fact you are so authentic, as you just mentioned, or does it root in the fact that you do try and put kindness first? That's something that you've proactively made a choice to do. 
I have this thing, and I, it's not it's I, it's not original, right? Um, it's not an original thought, but I have this thing that I always feel that I want people to feel better after they've left me than before they've met me. You know, the, the thing about it is that I'm not like sunshine and rainbows all the time. Yeah. You, if I I am very exacting at work, and if I go to work, you know, people who have worked with me who are not doing their job or doing their job to my liking, they understand that I am not kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am not sunshine and rainbows all the time. I will I will tell you, you know, people who try to like come for me, I will t- I will tell them about themselves. <laughs> you know, so. Um, I think the the word is authentic and um, I strive every day to be authentic. And if that is like telling somebody authentically that they're not doing a good job or, or that, you know, I would like them to do something better, then I will do that. I have had people be unkind to me. Look, I have never taken an acting class uh, because I went to a drama club in my high school back in Trinidad and Tobago, and my teacher told me, this is not for you. You are not going to be an actor. You don't have, you know, the, the voice, you don't have the, the vocal range of expressions, you know, you're, you're not going to be an actor. Um, I've had the entire press of Trinidad and Tobago be unkind to me because I was uh, famous when I was a young person. Um, I've had, you know, people genuinely just be unkind to me in the West End or, you know, in, and that don't feel nice. So I made it my mission that I will never make somebody feel like that. Because why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? We can't go through life making people feel like shit. Yeah. So I always want people to have had a good experience if they are around me. Because life is hard. I, I suppose it's because, you know, I'm a, an existentialist with a small E. I believe that life is tough and that that's the end. And how we survive it is by the decisions that we make, that we understand that life is tough. We understand that, you know, there's no amount of therapy that's going to take somebody who don't have any money out of their service. So it's about how you approach the toughness of life. So I'm an existentialist with a small E. And so therefore, everything is about the decision. It's about the decision to not just be positive. You know, they have this thing, people, I I learned this phrase over here, toxic positivity. Mm. I didn't know that that was a thing, but apparently it's a thing if you're just positive all the time. I am positive all the time. So some people probably think that I have toxic positivity too, but I don't care. (laughs) It (laughs) makes me happy, but it's about making the decision. And I make the decision to live my life with joy. And I make the decision to try to help other people live their life with joy, no matter this shitty situation that they're in. So, yeah, I, I guess that's where my kindness comes from. I hope a, a sense of authenticity in that I want an authentic experience of joy for myself and other people, whether that is a happiness or whether it is a contentment or whether it is just a kind word to say, all right, we will just make it through the day together. I think I'm definitely falling in love with you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just, I think it's the way that you explain things as well. It's like, yeah, like just talking about joy, but real joy, authentic joy, fun joy, but not necessarily fake joy, which I think we're all a victim of slightly trying to fall into is, you know, it, this industry is tough, but I think you can choose, you know, the famous saying of glass half empty, glass half full. I think there's a way to 
to look at it and to to deliver it and but also i have been so incredibly lucky and so incredibly fortunate you know i came to the uk i landed in london i was meant to be there for three months three months to do a play at the barbican that was it. I had a whole life. I had a radio program that I was doing every day in, in Trinidad and Tobago. I had like plays that I was doing in Trinidad and Tobago. I, you know, I had dogs. <laughs> you know, I had a whole life. But, you know, and I came to, to I almost said this country. I forgot where I was in a minute. <laughs> but I came to the UK and to do a play. And then I was offered another play. And then after that, I was offered representation. And then after that, somebody said, can you sing? I said, kind of. And they sent me for a musical. And I did my first musical. I had never done a musical before in my life until I did a musical. And this is me with my sheet music. Can't read music, but they're around looking at everybody, learning from these young people. I say, all right, these young people will teach me how to read music. And and it's just about say, it's about seeing the opportunity and saying yes. In the same way, look, I had been going through my career and Broadway wasn't on the radar for me, you know. I have been so fortunate to go from role to role to role for God knows how many years now. So happy to make work in and out of London. So lucky to get the opportunity. So lucky to have um, impressed and made acquaintances and friends with so many creatives who wanted to work with me again or who wanted me to be in their their work you know Luke Shepard was my baby boy director in Matilda who used to come and knock on the door and have to give us notes and you know it's like giving all these actors notes and I'm like yes come in and I would quarrel with him because I'm not easy to give notes to so I like to quarrel about my notes because it is the way that it goes into my head but I have been so lucky why wouldn't I be happy you know, so the boy picked me up and said, would you come and be in the show in on Broadway? I was like, I'd never thought about it. How to get on Broadway? I was like, oh, of course, I was going to take a year off a of musical theater. That's what I was going to do at, when I was leaving. I, I made the decision to leave Anne Juliet and was going to take a year off of musical theater um, to do some, some stuff with my agent. And, you know, we had some things that we had in mind that we were going to do. And then Broadway came. I had to say yes, you know, and now I'm doing the show for another year. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so lucky and so blessed. And it's about recognizing your blessings and recognizing the things, you know, you're deciding to give it a go. But it's also opportunities that you have been given. So that is why I have joy, because I am so grateful. Because people, in the same way that people have been unkind to me, people have also been incredibly kind. And that is why I am so filled and infused with joy. Absolutely. You've been so incredibly kind with your time. I wonder if I could quickly fire two questions at you. Um, yes, you have... I mean, God is you, you know, you have to do the um <laughs> the editing. <laughs> you have had the pleasure of playing, I think, I mean, I know we're not really allowed favourites, but I think one of my favourite shows and roles, and that's Ma Rainey, which I, I mean, thank the Lord that they filmed the Viola Davis one because I literally never stopped playing it. <laughs> I guess indulge me for just a second as to... To be in that show, to get to perform that material, I mean, am I okay to say it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that? I mean, I will, I can't thank Gemma Bodine enough for giving me the opportunity to do that. And then she subsequently got me back up to Liverpool to do the return of the rep in 2017. And I got a chance again to play Golda in Fiddle on the Roof and, and the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. And, you know, it, it, that, it was 
extraordinary. But playing Marini, ooh, that was like like the sense memory just came back to me about doing the work with the musical director and getting the voice, the way that she phrased things. And then letting that woman, I, I always say, you know, I said earlier on that rehearsals are wasted on me. It's because a lot of the time I wait for the character to arrive. I wait for her to turn up. The day that woman entered my body, I thought, I, I literally thought that I was going to die. The power of her. I didn't, it was like my skin wasn't enough to to hold on to her. And she's the title character of the play, but she doesn't come on for like 40 minutes or anything. And I remember the design process of it. And, you know, the fabric that they made my dress off, I think cost something like 800 pounds a meter. And I was draped in furs and, you know, I don't support the wearing of furs. Y'all don't come for me. <laughs> I don't, but that was for the part. And, you know, and, you know, the jewelry that she wore because she wore her wealth. She wanted everybody to know that she was rich. And she burst into the, the play about 40 minutes into the thing. Bam! She went. And I thought it was like if somebody pushed me at my back. Because I couldn't really explain, you know, during the rehearsal, Gemma would ask me, you know, what do you think she means by that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't. I, I understand it intellectually, but for I find it really hard sometimes to, sometimes I just like the text to just form itself in my mouth. And then the truth will come in-depth intellectual analysis of the text doesn't always work for me. I know a lot of actors use that, but it doesn't always work for me. I just I just have to look at it the whole time and just just let the sense come. That that's the way that I work. And it was like if somebody kicked me in my back and sent me out onto that stage. I will never forget that. I hope I get a chance to play it again. I went to see my sister Sharon D. Clark play it yeah. at the National and I understood, I understood everything. I understood everything that she was going through. And we talked about it because we, we had a drink afterwards and we talked about it and, and we were like, you know, I, I love that woman with my whole heart. And we happened to be on Broadway at the same time. Yes, opposite so each other. We, we saw, we, we were able to have a drink together and have lunch together and all of that and to share this experience and to learn from her, because she's been here before, to learn what it means to be Black, Trinidadian, British. And, you know, you know, she she was able to to calm me down and make things okay being here. But yeah, we I that character boy. Ooh, I hope I get a chance to play her again. I would love a chance to play her again because I think at my age now, I would understand a whole lot more. Because that was what 15 years ago or something we're talking about? 2004, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seventh. Oh, my gosh. Why you must age me like this? <laughs> 2004, you were but a teenager, remember? So that's fine. Ah, not a teenager. Not a teenager. <laughs> but certainly, I think um, I would love to get the chance with my life experience now. Yeah. And with my, my theatre experience, Yeah, I would love to get the chance to play her again. Well, if there's a Broadway producer listening, I think a Broadway <laughs> revival of Ma Rennie's Black Bottom would do rather well. And we found your lead, so we've done after work for you. So <laughs> we should do that. We should do that. The other question that I wanted to ask you before I ask my hopefully good final question to you is about being in ragtime because I think that I mean again I feel like I feel like all I do in these interviews is talk about shows that I absolutely f fall in love with but it's my podcast so I can do what I want but ragtime for me I think is probably like the perfect musical like I think there's very few that actually meet the standard for someone that's been in there that's 
being able to feel that in their soul, does that ever leave you? It never leaves you. Because it's like the what anniversary of it opening on Broadway, 25th or something. Yeah. Um, and they've been showing all the clips on, on the interwebs. And they showed the clip of the opening number, the goosebumps again. And I remember feeling that every night. The, what I love about my ragtime experience is that I didn't get the show. Like I auditioned for Ragtime and did not get it. And it opened and they had their opening night and whatever. And it turned out that somebody didn't had dropped out um, and, and therefore they needed to get another person. And they, the swing had been on the whole time. And um, they asked the swing if she wanted to be in the ensemble or go back to swinging. And she said, go back to swinging. So they wanted somebody to be in the ensemble. And so they called me back in. And I was terribly rude to the casting director um, and David Shrubsall, who was the associate MD at the time, who was a, a very dear friend, he called me and he said, you cannot behave like that in auditions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the very next call was them offering me the part. And so I had to learn the show in a week. I had to learn the show in, I had one week of rehearsals. <laughs> and so therefore I would rehearse in the day and then I would watch the show at night. And when I tell you, that show, it seeped into every cell of my body. And I remember David Shrubsall teaching me to sing that opening number and the meaning behind every note. He's so fastidious. He's so hard. I mean, I've worked with David now, I think a, a, a few times, and he's so fastidious about how things should be sung. So it was my first West End, it was my West End debut that nobody knows about because I don't appear in any of the programs. <laughs> but I was there. People remember I was there. I was there with, with Susie McKenna, um, who subsequently directed me in Once on This Island, right? So it's a it's a lovely article, which I think is also a perfect musical. It was just the we had the time of our lives. I don't think I've ever been welcomed into a cast as willingly, openly, or as lovingly as I was welcomed to the the ragtime cast. Maria Friedman was so kind, so kind. And I remember, because I also covered Sarah's friend. It was the one and only time I ever covered anything. And I covered Sarah's friend and I did my rehearsals and everything. And it so happened that due to some emergency, I did, I went on once. And I didn't find out until the quarter because it was a, an emergency thing that happened. I had to go on to sing the song at the end of, and I remember my entire cast. It was the Sarah's friend song, um, Till We Reach That Day. Uh, my entire cast, just like they, it's like they wouldn't sing because they were so busy <laughs> diligently listening, <laughs> listening to me. And at the end, when we finished, you know, and we finished that whole big, um, section at the end and the curtain went down and they screamed so loudly for me the cast uh and it remains look i'm still getting goosebumps thinking about it remains one of my most precious memories of doing a musical ragtime is it's not our story in terms of like britishness but it is so universal it is our story in terms of humanity and how we see other people and how we treat with other people and the, the way that we can compartmentalize our kindness, we are brought to, to a reckoning and we have to make a choice about how we see other people. It is so 
full and beautifully fleshed out with such human themes and so beautifully written in terms of the music and it or every note perfectly placed meaning so much that you are right it is a perfect musical broke my heart every night but also the shenanigans that we used to get up to with the with the cast as well is when i you know i learned to have fun i'm such a serious i'm such a serious person i am such a nerd and so like seriously grumpy that uh when it comes to like work and work on stage and, and all of that but boy oh boy we had such a fun time in that show and also what i love i think the most about it is every time there is a production on and i absolutely go you find something new it's always different it's never a copy paste job and i think that's just that's just testament to the the depth and the genius of the material and and the story that's being told i think it's a very very wonderful window into people's lives and to people's souls so thank you for indulging me in that it's um it's definitely one of my faves and there are so many other things by the way i should say that you've done that you've been part of we'd be here till like you come back to <laughs> london i mean mary poppins i saw you in that you're amazing daddy cool one of the faves like just Ooh, daddy obsessed cool. <laughs> like that's kind of a while ago as well but talk about range you really do love a challenge and to push yourself so please keep going with crazy things because it's a joy to get the opportunity to to see you in that and I wanted to ask you finally we've spoken so much about as I said at range and depth and trying new things and actually almost being crazy enough to push yourself in a way that does make you feel uncomfortable and to find heart and truth in things you referenced a second ago about the fact that this person told you back home that you wouldn't be able to do this industry that acting isn't for you and what, however they positioned it but seeing the success that you've had and the way in which living your truth has allowed you to hopefully become a better person on a personal level but also to help and give love to other people what would your message be to that younger person that got told that information about the success that you've had since then I guess how do you think they would view all of this crazy ride that you've been on I think they would expect it because that's the thing. The reason that I am here is because I'm going to give it a go. I told you I never went to an acting class. I didn't go to drama school. And the very first play, well, the first play I did, somebody just asked me to do it. And it was a tiny role. Um, but the first play of note, which was the play that brought me to the UK, was the play that brought me to London. It was an open audition. Well, I was famous at the time, so I called the director who I knew. Uh, through the music scene and I said I am going to come and audition am I going to make a fool of myself should I not come and he said no come and I went and I did make a fool of myself and then I got a part which I didn't audition for it was the role of a mother now bear in mind I was 24 or something 24 years old and so there's I got this role of this 40 something year old woman who just was worried about her son and did three monologues to a person who wasn't nobody was there but she was speaking to her husband so three monologues and imaginary husbands so I have no drama training <laughs> And I have to do these things. And and that was the play that subsequently brought us uh, to London. And it was only half of us that got to come. Uh, so we all had to re-audition for our parts. So I think, I, I tell that story to say, that's one example of me giving it a go. I will always give it a go. When they said, do musicals, I was like, sure, I'll do a musical. I'll give it a go. When Stephen Mayer in Mary Poppins said that he was going to put me in step in time, knowing full well that I had no dance on my CV and had never tapped in my entire life. 
And he said, I want you to be in this number. I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. In the same way, you know, um, when Jen Weber said, we're going to make you do somebody's this dancing. I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. And when Luke Shepard said, come, come to Broadway, I said, sure, I'll give it a go. That has been with me. I remember as a kid, I went on stage in my primary school. I think I must have been seven or eight, maybe a little older. And Flashdance was out and we were having a talent show. And I said, I was going to go and do the dance, you know, and it starts down, you're down, you crouched on the floor first when there's nothing and you do the thing and you come up and then, and I had not choreographed dance. I just said I was going to do the dance and I went on stage and didn't realize how long that song was and carried on dancing for three full minutes, just flailing about wildly in my primary school. I had not had one dance lesson in my whole life, but I th I said I was going to give it a go. I didn't have many friends growing up, so therefore I, it was probably a good thing. You know, I was kind of bullied and stuff because I was a bit of a nerd. I like school. I like reading. So it was probably a good thing I didn't have many friends because I didn't have anybody telling me what I couldn't do or discouraging me or kind of like saying that I would be embarrassed because I had no shame bone. I, I had no nothing that was going to say, you can't do this because you're not going to be good at it. I don't mind being not good at things, which is why I try so many things. I think when that teacher said I wasn't going to do acting, if she saw me now, I would say to her, you see? And she would say, yeah, because she would expect it. Here's to giving it a go, eh? Giving it a go! <laughs> <laughs> I knew this would be fun. I knew this would be a joy. And I knew that I would learn and feel very inspired. But coming out of this, this, is, this has made my week. So thank you so much. I know we've been wanting to do this for a while and you've been so kind with your time. We've gone way over, so I'm so sorry about delaying. I don't know. I mean, as I said, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> we it's all staying, I promise. So people are going to listen for the long one. But trust me, there's nothing we're taking out because it's too good. I really, really genuinely mean this. Thank you so much because it's such a pleasure. And most importantly, congratulations on the success that you've you've earned. And it's important to say that you are giving it a go and you're rather darn extraordinary at it. And Broadway is very lucky to have you, but please do come back because we miss you. But that's where my house is. <laughs> <laughs> My partner and I bought a house. You know, we managed to buy a house just right before the pandemic. <laughs> you know? So we have to look after, we have to look after the house. So yes, I mean, London is my home. I, I felt that way when I landed there in 1998. And then when I came back in 2000, I didn't know how I was going to live there, but I knew that I was going to live there and I gave it a go. And 20 years later, and a citizen, I'm so happy to be there. So I do love my home. I also love my second home, New York. I feel very lucky lucky and very fortunate your husband's got a bachelor pad at home that's the most important thing he's literally <laughs> like hello he's like woo television time <laughs> we miss each other so much i can't even tell you it's like but also we miss each other so much but we hate talking on the phone okay yeah and we, I feel like that. we hate like just like uh like just any phone thing so we just never talk on the phone we kind of save it up until like the weekend and then we have like lots of things to like say uh but we're so used to being together he's he's a spanish translator and and so he he works for himself and and so therefore he's been able to go you know to stratford when we were making matilda he's been up in in leeds when we were doing white christmas and all all of that and so the cast 
and the musicians often know him and like him better than they like me. Yeah, he's enjoying his bachelor pad, but I know that he's looking forward to, you know, he'll be back in about a month and a half. And so he's looking forward to coming back. I'm going to let you go because I know that you've got a show to star in on Broadway, but just thank you so much once again. And I look forward to seeing you on stage because I'm coming back because I have to see you do this role again for like the, I think it's like the eighth or ninth time. I really do love it. So thank you so much and good luck. Thank you. Thank you, my love. Thank you. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.